0: Today is part two of our series called Alter Ego, and yes, it is spelled A-L-T-A-R, because what we're doing in this series is talking about laying our egos on the altar of God and getting rid of some of the things that really hold us back from being everything that He wants us to be. So we're looking at these various areas of life that sort of aren't exactly what God would have for us, and we're seeing, okay, how do we lay those things down? Today I want to talk to you about control. Now, I'll be honest. How many of you would say that you're a little bit of a control freak? Let me see you raise your hands. All right, some of you got your hands up there. If you had the urge to reach over and like raise the hand of the person next to you, this message is specifically for you because you are a control freak and you want everything done the way you want it to be done. Now, I notice that not everybody raised your hand here this morning, and that's okay because not everybody's a control freak. You know, some people they they do every single area of life. They want complete control over. It. But Here's what's true about all human beings. Every single one of us have at least some areas where we want control. All of us. I don't care who you are. There's at least one area in life that you want control. For me, it's like here at church, that there's a certain way I want things done. There's a philosophy of why we do certain things so that I have a little bit more control here than I would have in other areas of life. At home, I'm pretty laid back. Lisa can tell you, you know, it's like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, so it's like, you know, it, it's, it's not that way all places. And for you, there, there's particular areas where you want more control, you know, than in other areas. Uh, for some of you, you're opposite of me. You know, maybe you're the person that at work, you're really laid back. But then it's at home that it's your way or the highway. You want control on that. Or for some of you, it's finances. You, you want control in your finances, and you know where every single dollar and every single penny goes. You've got complete control over that. But then maybe when it comes to, say, your kids, you just sort of let them run loose and go and do their own thing. Again, every single person is a little bit different in how they handle this. Uh, for some of you guys, outside of the house, like in the yard you're laid back you know the grass will get mowed when it gets mowed you know whatever but then you walk inside the house and there you want control because there's this little device in there called a remote control and you think and this is part of your theology you think that god ordained men as the only ones that know how to use this little precious piece of spiritual machinery that is there you know and it's like man i I've got to be the one in control of this thing. And for all of us, guys, we know that it's not about what's on, it's about what may be on. And so that's why we sit there and we just click and click and click right through the things. Again, all of us, we get riled up about some things and then we're really laid back about other things. We've got to be careful when it comes to this whole thing of control because, again, it will hold us back from being who God wants us to be. So here's what I want to do today. I want to look at who and what is it that we try to control Why do we do it, and then what should we do about it? So if you're taking notes this morning, they're on your outline. What is the first thing that we try to control? Well, number one, we try to control people. Try to control people. You know, there's an old saying that says this, that God loves you, and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. But control freaks, they say it this way, God loves you, and I've got a wonderful plan for your life. Who cares what God wants? Here's what I want for you. And and so I'm going to control that in your life. I want you to see things the way I see it. I want you to do things the way that I would do it. And so what we end up doing is we manipulate and we bribe and we offer rewards or withhold rewards or we threaten punishment. There's all kinds of ways that we try to control other people. But here's what I want you to get this morning. God has not called you to control people. If you see something in somebody's life that isn't the way it should be, your job is to influence people. Big difference. Your job is to influence, not to control. All right, number two then. We try to control circumstances. So not only do we try to control people, but we try to control circumstances. It could be in our home, our job, our schedules, the future. We want things to come out exactly the way that we think that they should come out. We don't trust God, that that God is in control of this situation, that God is in control of this circumstance. We think, I've got to put myself in there and, and try to manipulate the situation to make it come out the way that I want it to come out. Now, the question is, why would we do that? Why would we try to control people? Why would we try to control circumstances? It's right in the title of this series. It's our ego. We think that we know more than what God does. That, yeah, you're God and everything, but in this particular circumstance, God, I know better than what you do. And so our egos are way out of control, trying to do things that only God could do. I love how author Ken Blanchard put it. Ken Blanchard's a great author. He's a a very successful businessman, also a great follower of Jesus. And he said it this way, ego is just this. It's an acrostic, E-G-O, edging God out. If you think about it, that's what your ego is. You're edging God out. That I feel so confident in myself that I think I know more than what God knows in this situation. I know more than what God knows in this circumstance. I know better for this person's life than what God does. That's our ego speaking in that. And that's why we end up trying to control so many things. Now, control freaks actually have a theme verse that they use from the Bible. Control freaks, you, you love this particular verse. It's found in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, in the CFV version. It says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart, and lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge God, and you will make your path straight. Now, some of you are going, I don't think that's how that verse goes. And what is the CFV? Well, that's the control freak version of the Bible. But isn't this how we live life so often? I'm only trusting God with some of my heart. And I'm going to lean on my own understanding. And I'm only going to acknowledge God when it's convenient for me. Other times I'm going to, you know, trust in myself. Because I will be able to make my path straight. That's your ego. What does this verse actually say? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. See, the danger with us trying to control situations is that the more we try to control something, the more we fear losing control. And guess what happens then? We try to grab even more control. And you see how this becomes a vicious cycle? Of I'm afraid of losing control, so I'm going to grab more control. And the more control I have, the more I fear I'm going to lose it. And I just grab more, and it just, it just keeps repeating itself. And it leads you into a place that God would not have for you to be. In other words, we just keep edging God out. Now, there's a a wonderful example of this in the Bible of the dangers of edging God out. And so if you have a Bible this morning, you want to turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, that's where we're going to sort of hang out here this morning in God's word. Before we get to it, though, let me give you a little bit of context about what we're about to read. The uh, two people in this story are named Abraham and Sarah. Now, at the time of the story, they hadn't been given those new names. They were actually Abram and Sarai, okay? Now, I'll just be honest with you this morning. I'm so used to calling them Abraham and Sarah that I'll probably mess up and sometimes call them Abraham and Sarah, even though it'll say something else. But same people, okay? Abram is Abraham and Sarah and Sarai are the same person, okay? Here's the deal these two did not trust God. Complete lack of faith. They were edging God out, and they do this on numerous occasions. For example, one time, there was a severe famine in the land that they were living in, the land of Canaan, which eventually became modern-day Israel. They're living there in Canaan, and there's a great famine. And so they go down to Egypt in order to get food. Now, from what we understand from the Bible, Sarah was hot. I mean, like, really good-looking, okay? And so Abraham is taking his wife Sarah down. They're going to get some food, and he's like, Man, she is so hot that when I get down there, they'll probably kill me and take her as their own wife. So he says to her, "Um, honey, uh, when we get down there, just tell them you're my sister. In other words, honey, I, I really love you and everything, but I love my life even more. And so, you know, if they happen to take you and sleep with you and all that, No big deal, but at least I'm still alive. And so this is Abraham. This is who he is. He's trying to manipulate and control the situation. He's not trusting God. Sure enough, they get down to Egypt. Guess what happens? Oh, this is my sister. And they're like, really? Let's bring her in, have her as a wife. It wasn't until later on that they find out that, no, these two are actually married And it's just a bad situation. I won't uh, get into all of it. You can read it for yourself. Now, you would think that they would have learned their lesson with this. But just eight chapters later, guess what? They're in another land, another situation. And he says, hey, uh, when we get there, tell them that you're my sister. Because if not, they're going to kill me. See what they're doing? They're edging God out. They're not trusting God. Now, by the time we get to the the story we're going to look at today, they had this, this pattern that they had just kept going through, that, you know, not trusting God, manipulating, controlling people, controlling situations and circumstances. But God comes to Abraham anyway, and he says to him, look, I want to make you the father of my people. See, God decided he was going to start a a nation that would be his own. Now, we know it today as the Jewish people, the the nation of Israel. God says to Abraham, man, you're going to be the father of this. You're going to be the one that gets it all started. He says, Abraham, through you and your descendants, man, you could go out to the beach and look at the sands, uh, 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 the, the grain of sands there, and if you tried to count them all, It wouldn't even be as high as the number of the number of descendants you're going to have. He says, and Abraham, you can go out in the night in the clear sky, look up at all the stars. You try to count all those stars. And he says, you're going to have more descendants than that. One problem. Abraham and Sarah had been trying to have children for many, many years, but Sarah was barren. Couldn't have kids. They kept trying, but they they couldn't have them. And by the time that uh, God comes to Abraham here and gives this promise, they're pretty old. And so when God says, look, not that you're just going to have one child, but that through you and your lineage it's going to become an entire nation, they just laugh at God. There's no way this is going to happen. But yet God had promised this to them. God said, this is going to happen. But many years pass. No child, no child, no child, no child. And this is when they decide that it's time to edge God out. So again, if you got a Bible, Genesis chapter 16, we'll start with verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a child through her. Key word here is perhaps. She's like, okay, God isn't doing it the way that we think it should be done. So perhaps we can manipulate this situation. We can control this outcome and and get what it was that God wanted for us anyway. Perhaps he'll do it our way instead of doing it. His way. See what they're doing? They had been promised by God that they would have a son, and that through that son, that there would become a whole nation of people. But yet they're not patient, and they edge him right out. Sarah's not content with the timeline that God's working on. Now, for Abraham, this would have been very, very simple. If he would have just followed the rule that there's two rules. All of us guys have this same two rules. If he just would have followed it. Rule number one, don't ever sleep with a woman named Hagar. Right, guys? Rule number two. Remember rule number one. That's it. If he would have just followed these two rules. But no. He's like, that's a good idea. God isn't doing it on on the way we think it's going to be done. And so, yeah, sure, let me go sleep with Hagar. Versus uh, the end of verse 2 and then through verse 4, and it says, and Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. They edge got out. And this decision that they made impacted not just their lives, but it still impacts our life here today in 2014. You're going, what? How did their decision way back thousands of years ago, how does that impact us today? Well, Hagar has a son. His name is Ishmael. Now, here's the deal. What did God promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have what? A son. A son. Is God a liar? No. So guess what eventually happens? They have a son. His name is Isaac. Now, these two boys, Isaac and Ishmael, they became bitter, bitter rivals. They hated one another. Now, I shared with you earlier that Abraham, Isaac, and then Isaac's son, Jacob, they become the, the founders of the, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. Israel. Guess who Ishmael, this boy that should have never been born, guess who he became the the founder of? Yeah, the Muslims. So every time you hear about the war between the Jews and the Palestinians, it's all traced back to this bad decision. Every time terrorists fly airplanes into our buildings, it can all be traced back to this bad decision that these people tried to take control of a situation that they had no business being in control of. They edged God out. And again, it still impacts us here in 2014. Now, I know most of you are going, Gilbert, I never plan on sleeping with a woman named Hagar. And I'm sure that's true. But you're a little bit missing the point. Because what I'm trying to say to you today is that's just how they manipulated a situation. That's how they try to control a situation. But all of us have areas of life where we try to control things that we think that we know better than what God does. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're a single woman and you're like, man, I'd really like to to marry a Christian guy. But, wow, you know, I'm getting older and older and God hasn't provided yet and the clock is ticking. And so I'm just going to settle for this guy over here. I'm just going to start dating. I know he's not a Christian, but I'll change him. You know, I'll, I'll bring him into a relationship with Jesus. What are you doing there? You're edging God out not a part of what God's plan is and God's will is for your life you're trying to control it manipulate it maybe you're here today and you know that God's word says that when it comes to finances that you're supposed to give 10 percent back what we call a tithe but you're like uh, no I, I can't do that and you've got all your reasons why you can't you got all the excuses of why you're edging God out Even though he's promised you in his word uh, all the blessing that's going to come when you do it, you're like, yeah, but I I just, I can't afford it. And you have all the excuses and, you know, I'm doing it for my kids and all this kind of stuff. And we'll get around to it later. Again, every time we edge God out, it has bad consequences to it. So all of us, I don't care who you are, we have areas that we do this. And so my big question for you this morning is, what is your area? What is it that you're trying to control that you shouldn't? Could be your kids. Could be how your kids are raising your grandkids. Might be something at your work. It could be your image. I want you to really stop and think about what is the area that I hold on to tightly, that I've edged God out of? What is it? Then once you've identified it, I want to give you three questions here this morning. That will help you to start to lay this on the altar of God. So question number one is this. Is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? Back in our previous series, the uh, Crazy Love series, we looked at the story of Mary and Martha. You remember that, that Jesus comes over to the house. And Mary was the one that wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn more and more about him. What was Martha doing? She was busy in the kitchen. It was more about what can I do for Jesus than learning from Jesus and just spending time with Jesus. And if you remember, what Martha eventually does is she's like, Jesus, would you tell my no good lazy sister to get in the kitchen here with me and help out? And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, why do you concern yourself with things that really don't matter? And I want to say the same thing to you this morning. Why are you concerning yourself with things that really don't matter? Why are you trying to hold control of things that really don't matter? So when you have identified this area in your life, you've got to ask yourself, okay, does this really matter or not does it matter or not some of you get all bent out of shape you know that well the bed wasn't made just perfectly is that really something to concern yourself with or your your fourth grade boy goes out and his his hair is a little bit out of place and you're all bent out of shape, you know, get back in here. And you're controlling the situation that you can't go out with your head. Like, Think about it. The grand scheme of things, does that really matter? Should you really concern yourself with that? Is your little fourth grade boy going to go to hell or go to jail because he's got a little calic going on? Again, there, there's many things in the world that we should be concerned about. But so often we get all bent out of shape about things that just simply don't matter. When you put things into perspective, most things just aren't a big deal. So you've got to just consciously continue to ask yourself this question. Anytime you feel like you're you're getting to that place where, man, I'm trying to control this situation to say, okay, does this really matter or not? Here's a second question then to ask. Is it mine to control? Sometimes the answer is going to be, yes, it is for you to control. There's something that you need to to do about a particular situation, something that can be done and should be done. But oftentimes the answer is no. That this isn't even my area to be controlling anyway. And let me be very clear about something here this morning. That surrendering control is not the same thing as relinquishing responsibility. Does that make sense? You can give up control of something, but you still need to be responsible about things. Maybe you've messed up, you know, financially. Well, you don't just say, well, all right, I'm just giving all the control to God. But no, you still got to be responsible. Cut back on your spending. Get on a budget. Cut up your credit cards. Or, you know, maybe your marriage is in trouble. You got to... Be responsible. Get some counseling. Go and join one of our life groups so you have some accountability around you. you know, make sure you're having a date night. So again, big difference between control and, and responsibility. Do what it is that you can do, but then let God do the rest. James four thirteen to fourteen. James, the brother of Jesus, says, and now I have a word for you who brashly announced today at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. James says, you don't even know the first thing about tomorrow. What he's really saying here is, look, you can make plans, but you can't control tomorrow. You have no control over what's going to happen tomorrow, much less what's going to happen a year from now. So, again, be responsible. Do the things that you can do, but don't try to manipulate situations. Don't try to manipulate people to make it all work and fit in the way that you want it to. Lay that all on the altar of God. So, again, you've got to ask yourself does it concern me or should I be concerned with this? Is it worth my concern? And then, is it mine to control? Question number three is it for God alone? our ego begins to think oftentimes that we know better than what God does. And so we start to try to handle situations that were actually just meant for God alone to be handling. Again, that gets us in a huge, huge trouble. We start to worry about things that really are only meant for God to be worrying about. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 6 7 says this. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thankful hearts. Offer up your prayers and requests to God. Then, because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with a peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way that you think and you feel. You know, this verse is going to be so freeing for many of you because you're going to realize that many of the things that you're so worried about isn't for you to be worried about. It isn't yours to control. Your job is to pray about it. It's God's job to worry about it. Not that God really worries about anything, but it's his concern, not yours. Notice what happens when you do your part and let God do his part. What's it say you'll get? Peace. You'll get a peace. And Paul says it's a a peace that is so mind-blowing, so incomprehensible, that, man, we can't even wrap our minds around it. Surpasses all understanding, he says. How many of you could use some more peace in your life? A little less worry in your life? Here it is, right here. Stop concerning yourself with things that isn't for you to, to do. It's God's alone. It's his. It's not for you to control it. So let's practice this. Can you control your spouse? Now, a lot of you want to go, yes. But according to God's word and according to what we've been learning today, can you control your spouse? No. Oh, you you probably can, but should you? No. What are you called to do? Well, the things you can do is pray for them, encourage them, help them out in any way that you can if there's something in their life that needs to be changed god already knows that he doesn't need your help he'll change them on his timetable again you just pray for them and help them out in any way that you can or maybe you got a loved one who's sick can you control whether they get healed or not no what can you do though you can pray you can take them to the doctor's visits you can be an encouragement to them you know, many of you, you you worry about your kids and about their future. But what did James say? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, much less a year from now. And so with your four-year-old or your seven-year-old or your 17-year-old, you don't know what 10 years from now is going to bring or 20 years from now is going to bring. That's not for you to control. What can you do? Love them. Pray for them. Be as good of an influence on them as you can for Jesus. you can't control their future at all. Now here's the cool part of the story of Abraham. Because as we saw three different examples of him trying to control and manipulate situations, you would think that God would say, all right, I'm just completely done with you. That's it. But no, God makes this promise that you're going to have this son and he's going to grow up and out of His descendants, you and his descendants, is going to become this great nation called Israel. And as I said, eventually God gives Abraham and Sarah a son. His name is Isaac. So I want you to think about it. When all those years that they didn't have any children at all, what is it that they most wanted? They wanted a son, right? But as they have a child, and Abraham's faith, Begins to really grow and his trust in God begins to really, really grow. Guess what happens when Isaac's 12 years old? God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on an altar. The very thing that Abraham wanted the most, God now asks him to give up. Now, I know that sounds crazy. Why would God ask him to sacrifice his son? Some ways it's a foreshadowing of what God himself would do. But he asked them to do this, and Abraham, this, this man that for so many years was trying to control situations, has faith and he has trust that God will provide. God will make a way out of this. I don't have to control the situation somehow, some way. God will make this come out right. I want you to actually watch the story of what happens. Take a look.
1: We have the firewood, but where's the lamb? The Lord will provide a sacrifice, my son. Did Abraham take a lamb? No, Mr. God. Oh ho ho Abraham has passed the ultimate test. He will become the father of God's nation. Now it's up to Isaac. He will have a son called Jacob. God will rename him Israel. The promise of descendants as numerous as the stars is coming true.
0: So when Abraham surrendered control of the thing that he wanted the most, it was then that he saw God's power and God's miraculous provision. And see, the same thing is true for you this morning. You're not going to see the power and provision of God until you let go of that thing that you're trying to control. So we've got to stop edging God out. Put our full faith and trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today and thank you for your word. And and just God, so often we see examples in scripture of how not to do things. And Lord, thank you for the story of Abraham where we saw both the the right and the wrong way uh, of how to handle this whole topic of control. And God, forgive us in the ways that we try to edge you out and lord i just pray that from this day forward we would surrender our full being to you that we would acknowledge that yes there are ways that we can uh, influence situations and and be a help in situations but god help us to relinquish control once and for all to not try to play your role because god we we make such terrible gods ourselves only you have the power to do all that and so lord whatever it is that we brought to mind earlier that we're trying to control i pray that right now in our minds we would just lay it there on your altar and we would sacrifice it we would sacrifice it once and for all and then we would get up from that altar forever changed thank you god for doing that in our lives and i ask all this in jesus name
1: amen